right, well, good morning, Mercy Fellowship. Hope you're well. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Curtis. Um, I just want to pause for a moment and, and just recognize that song we just sang, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I Feel That. Do you feel that? I feel that in my being. It is so easy for me to, to wander. It is so easy for me to, to, to have ways out of following God. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Take my heart and seal it, God. Um, if you've got a Bible, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing our sermon series on preeminence and uh, playing with this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. And if we fall with this line of, from the book of Colossians that Jesus is preeminent over all things, including our lives, then what does that mean for us as his disciples? And so we've categorized discipleship here at Mercy Fellowship by four G's. Gather, give, grow, and go on mission. We gather as the people of God around the person and work of Jesus because each one of us individually makes up the church. This building right here, it's a nice building that people call the church, but if you're a follower of Jesus, the thing is true is this, that you are the church, not this building. We give. We give of our time and our talents and treasures because God first gave. Uh, we want to invest in Mercy Fellowship what God finds value in. That's it. If God was to speak to you and to me and say, hey, hey guys, I want you to invest in this stock. That's the one I'm investing in. I'd want to invest in that stock. I, I'd want to invest in what God finds value in. And so we gather, we gr give, we grow because he has commissioned us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is Matthew 28, where Jesus has commissioned us as the people of God to go out and make disciples. And part of making disciples is by being a disciple. That is how we grow. And we go on mission because we believe there's no greater message and story for all of humanity to redeem this world. Uh, we're not looking for a message 2.0. We're not looking for an update in the Bible. We believe we already have it. And the result of that, then, is that we have a message that we go out with. So today we're talking about part two as far as growing goes, and just a very basic question to ask is this. How do you grow as a follower of Jesus? How do you grow as a follower of Jesus? Perhaps you come in today, you're feeling stagnant in your faith. You feel like you're not growing at the rate that you would like to. Uh, let me just go ahead and just set the, the, the table or the floor, if you will, for, for, for what's going to happen today. We are all, Mercy Fellowship, in process of growing. Uh, I, I'm not growing faster than you guys. I'm not better than any of you guys. This morning, church, this is so embarrassing. Let me share this with you. This morning, I had my devotionals. Oh, so spiritual. I went over the sermon. It went so good. I went ahead and I got changed and I hit my head on part of the dresser and I started throwing stuff like a child. <laughs> I need to grow. I'm a mess, okay? We all need to grow together as the people of God. And so here's what, what it means to grow. We're all being formed into the image of Jesus, all right? And, and you're going to be formed into an image whether you like it or not. That's the reality. Uh, by the things you listen to, by the things that you're looking at, you will either be formed into the person and work of Jesus, or you're going to be formed into something else. Is it Jesus that you're forming into and whose image you bear, or is it someone else? And so like I said, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Here's the context for the book of Ephesians. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he is beating the drum of the gospel over and over and over again in the book of Ephesians. 
Ephesians chapter 1, he starts off with saying this, In love God has predestined you, foreknown you. Before the world was even created, God had thought of you. And he, he has loved you so much before the even foundation of the world that he has decided to adopt you into his family. And how you know you are a part of the family of God and that you've been adopted into the family of God is that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have your family's resemblance. And, and just so we don't get proud and think, oh man, I'm really good, of course God would choose me. Paul goes to Ephesians chapter 2 and he says, no, you were, you were dead in your sins. You were following the prince of the powers of the air. You were, you were lost, but God had mercy on you. And God, in great love and kindness and compassion, he has saved you by grace. And this is not anything that you have done. Rather, it is a gift of God. And the result, church, for us, the result of being adopted into the family of God, the, the, the result of being part of this family of God is this. You're now part of a, a big, broad family of God. This family, it is growing and it is expanding throughout all the generations, throughout all the nations. And Mercy Fellowship, we are a testament to that truth. 2,000 years later, after the Apostle Paul's written this, this is a, true for us that we here at Abbott Church are worshiping Jesus. We're a testament to that reality. And he ends with a prayer. It's what we start our call to worship with. Now to him, who was able to do far more abundantly anything we could ever think of. To him be glory in the church. Mercy Fellowship, to him be glory in this church. Amen? That's what we want. To him be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And it's because, church, of what Jesus has done. It is because of who Jesus is that therefore the Apostle Paul says, you need to live differently in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So like I said, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we're going to read all of it, and then we're going to go ahead and dice it up throughout the sermon. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a, led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying... He ascended. What does it mean but that he'd also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and stature and the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head 
uh, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What's happening here? Well, the Apostle Paul, he, in this section, we're talking about the main thing that we're looking at is, is growth. And the main thing that hinders growth, the Apostle Paul says, is disunity within the body. So if we're talking about growing church, we have to be talking about unity in the body. The first way we grow church, and I've got a couple points for you today, we grow by unity in the body. And so here's how we got to talk about this though, okay? We're Protestant Christians. That means we're different than Roman Catholics. That means we're different than Eastern Orthodox. So I don't believe you have to be a part of the church in order to be saved. We believe that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We're, we're Protestants. We're not Catholics. We're not, we're not Eastern Orthodox. And yet, church, if we're going to be honest about this, we as Protestants, we have a, a fairly shallow view of the church. When we talk about the church, it's like it's, it's kind of an afterthought. It's not really something that's, that's that important. And we've got to be honest about this because when we look at, at the Bible and what it says, there's no such thing as a, a rogue Christian. There's no such thing as a, a on-their-own Christian living it out without being in community with other believers. And so Paul's saying this, you've been called to live a certain way because you've been saved by grace in Jesus. And part of that calling to live a certain way is that you imitate Jesus. How? You don't imitate Jesus by yourself. You imitate Jesus within community. How do you imitate Jesus? So he says this, you imitate Jesus by living in community with others in humility rather than pride, gentleness rather than aggression, patience rather than impatience, and bearing with one another in love. Other translations say putting up with one another in love. And the reason we live this way, church, is so that we might have unity in the body and the bond of peace. Paul's justification for this church is that he's going to go on to say this. It, there's not multiple churches, there's one church. There's not multiple gods, there's one God. There's not multiple spirits, there's one spirit. There's not multiple hopes, there's, there's only one hope. And because God is one, united in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, therefore, church, we are called to be one. Now, church, unity is always better than disunity, obviously, right? You parents, right, if you're on the same page for parenting your kids, you want to have unity rather than disunity. It's true with parenting, it's true with sports, obviously unity is better than disunity. But if we're going to be honest, though, about unity, unity is hard, right? Have you ever been around someone too long and anything they do just rubs you the wrong way? You've been around someone too long and just the sound of their breathing makes you upset. Has that happened to you? Is it just me? It's just me. This happens to all of us, church. Last Sunday, I was preaching at a different church over in Burlington, great group of, of Christians over there. They just need someone to cover the pulpit, so I was there. Said hi to this one guy, and uh, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm the associate pastor at our church. He said, associate pastor? Does that mean you guys have a lead pastor? I said, yep, I'm not the, I'm not the lead pastor. And, uh, and so he went off to tell me how I was wrong and how our church's leadership structure is wrong for about five minutes. I got to be united to that guy? Right off the bat, he didn't like me. And church, I, I preached the sermon, and afterwards I got to talk to him, and he's a really nice guy, and he's, he's had a, a pretty just hard last year in life, and, 
And, uh, and but when we deal with people that are hard to be around, and, and you're like, man, I don't want to be united to that guy. We need to ask our question, what are we united around? Obviously not leadership, apparently. What are we united around? Because the beauty of unity, church, is this. Unity does not mean uniformity, right? God has made us all as distinct image bearers with distinct roles and gifts and backgrounds, and yet what we stand around, united around is the person and work of Jesus. That's what we are united by. So church, number one, we grow by unity in the church. The second way we grow is by knowing and memorizing the gospel. We have to know what we are united by, right? When you have someone who, who, who comes after you and, and disorients you, you've got to have it lodged in your mind knowing what is true about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You have to know this. And the Apostle Paul, this is what he says about the gospel. He said in verses 7 through 10, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. This is interesting to me. We talked about at the beginning of this sermon that the Apostle Paul spends three chapters, very, I would say, comprehensively, talking about the gospel. And he gets a few verses ahead talking about, okay, this is how you're going to live. But he says, oh, but, but wait, you need to remember the gospel. And it's a weird thing for us to kind of think, okay, why is Paul bringing up the gospel again? Right? And what is this gospel? Our God who lives on high, he has descended to us. He has saved us. He, he, has, he is serving us. We who are captors have been freed as he's led a host of captives. And he's given to us gifts. We're going to talk about those gifts later on in the verses. And he's given us these gifts, church, that his presence might be filled and go throughout the entire earth and that the church would expand. Why is this important? Some of you have probably grown up in churches and perhaps even still think this way, where, where the, the entry point for Christianity is the gospel. I just need to believe the gospel, trust the gospel, and then I'm in, and then I'm good. And that's absolutely true, yes and amen. But a lot of people treat the gospel as the ABCs of Christianity, where as soon as I, I know the gospel and I'm in, I can move on to, quote, more mature things that the Bible talks about. The reality for us, church, is this. The gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Z of Christianity. Uh, the gospel applies to all of life. It applies to every area, in fact, of your life. Uh, Martin Luther, the father of our Protestant tradition that we're in, he said back in the 1500s, he said, every Sunday the gospel must be preached because every Sunday that it's not, we are prone to forget it. And what's this gospel? This gospel is this, church. We've been saved by grace. The Apostle Paul says grace was given to each one of us, God's unmerited favor. And what happens is this, when we forget that we've been saved by grace, what's going to happen is two things. One, we're going to think, oh, I've earned God's favor. We're going to be swelled up with pride. Or we're going to think, I need to earn God's favor, and you're going to learn really quickly that you can't, and you fall short daily, and you're going to fall into despair. 
the religious spirit, the prideful spirit, the one who thinks they've earned it, is always going to have the equation. Jesus plus my performance, Jesus plus all the work that I've done, Jesus plus all the great things that I've done, equals me being reconciled to God. Rather, church, it's by grace you've been saved. That means it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's all a gift. This is important for us, Mercy Fellowship. It's important for us that we know this because how well we know the gospel is going to determine how well we serve one another and have unity within this church. I brought it up a few years ago, and so I thought it was worth bringing up again, this idea of gospel proclamation as well as gospel culture. Um, a few years ago, uh, we were at a, a, a seminar in Seattle, leadership here at Mercy Fellowship, uh, with a guy named Ray Ortland. And he had a picture up on, on, on stage to communicate this idea that oftentimes what's preached from the pulpit and preached in the church doesn't line up with the culture that takes place in the church, because that also preaches something as well. And he showed a picture from the 40s or 50s. as a black and white picture. Up on the stage, there's a banner, and it says, Jesus saves. Gospel proclamation, Jesus saves. Thumbs up. That's great. Gospel culture on that stage was a bunch of Ku Klux Klan members. What does that communicate? Jesus only saves white people. Jesus only cares about white people. White people are a little better than other races. All which is antithetical to the gospel. We've received grace. The Apostle Paul, he tells us, we've received grace, God's unmerited favor. And because we've received grace, therefore, church, that means we didn't earn it. You didn't do it. John Newton, the one who wrote the song Amazing Grace, he has this analogy that I love. He, uh, talking about the pit and how all of humanity is in a pit. Stealing this from Psalm 103 and also, also Joseph as well. And he says, hey, you were in this pit. And God, even what Paul's saying here, has descended down to save you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But God did. You don't go back to that pit and start yelling at people. What's wrong with you people? Pick it up. Work harder. If you would jump higher, if your performance was better, you would be where I am. You've been saved by grace, church. You've been saved by grace. And because you've been saved by grace, then your posture towards others should be the same posture that Jesus has had towards you, which is love, which is compassion, which is serving one another. We've received grace. Mercy Fellowship, are we going to be a people who can descend to serve one another, or are we too proud to serve? Like I said, this gospel, this gospel applies to all of our lives, and in this context we're looking at as well, this also applies to our relationships with other people. In our relationships, uh, when, when pride swells up, we want to ascend above other people. We want to ascend above others to show how much greater I am, how much better I am, how much more right I am than you are. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, hey, remember Jesus, he who ascended, the only one church who was able to ascend. He's perfect. He's pure. He's altogether good. That Jesus descended to serve, to love, to give. Pride will always look down on others. Pride will always belittle others. And C.S. Lewis says this, that in pride, when you're looking down at others, you never have the opportunity to look up and to see God. And if you would see God, you would get this picture that the Apostle Paul is saying, the one who ascended has descended down to us to serve us, to love us. 
How we grow, church, is by unity in the church as well as knowing and memorizing the gospel. Does this gospel, Mercy Fellowship, show you in ways and areas of where you could grow in your relationships? Does it show you in ways and areas of where, where you've been too proud, perhaps, and you need to descend? We've been called to grow. We've been called to grow, but by God's grace, God hasn't left us just to grow by ourselves. God has given us gifts to help us grow. Verses 11 through 13, they say this. And he gave, that's God, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature and the fullness of Christ. The third way we grow, church, is that we grow when we have a solid foundation. The Apostle Paul, what he shows us is this, that the church has this blessing on it, that, that God has not left us to ourselves, but he's given us gifts. And these gifts are apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers. And a lot of people think that pastor, teacher, the end should be just one word due to the Greek. Pastor, teacher, shepherd, teacher, whatever you want to call it. But it's meant to be actually in these, these two categories. And before we even get there, though, what they all have in common, church, is this. Uh, what they all have in common is communicating God's word. So the first category, prophets and apostles, it's meant to communicate this, this word that we have right here. The apostle Paul earlier in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, right? You've been adopted into the family, your fellow citizens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone, right there, in whom the whole structure is being joined together into a holy temple in the Lord. What does this mean? It means our foundation as the church, it starts with the teachings of God's word. The prophets, the Old Testament, and the apostles, the New Testament, with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, the very piece that holds the whole structure together. And what we see in this section is this. God provides for what the church needs. He provides for the church's needs. This word we have, it's meant to be a foundation for the church by which we base everything off of. This is why every Sunday, Mercy Fellowship, we open this book. That's why people will, will go ahead and call us as Christians, whether, whether in mocking or not, people of the book. This is why, church, I hope as one of your pastors, every day at the very least, you're, you're digesting just a, a portion of Scripture. I, I've been reading this book uh, uh, lately, Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. I'm well behind on books. I didn't read a book until I was like a senior in high school and Jesus saved me. So I'm, I'm behind, I'm trying to catch up with the rest of you. And I've been reading this book, uh, The Hiding Place, and it's just so amazing to me to see her story and of how God's word is a foundation for her through the hardest of times. One of the examples is this. During World War II, a Dutch woman, she was en ended up being taken to a concentration camp with her sister Betsy, and, and they were moved around a lot. And they were moved from worse situation to even worse situation. And they get to this one camp where they're going to be staying, and they walk in, and this room is disgusting. This room is drafty. It's wintertime. They're dressed poorly. And, and there's hay that they're supposed to sleep on like animals. And, and that hay, there's tons of fleas. Corey, the sister, she's upset about this. She's not happy. Obviously, right? Obviously, she's not happy. 
And her sister Betsy said, hey, hey, what was our devotional that we had this morning? Love bringing that up, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says this, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And her sister Betsy said, I think we're supposed to pray and give thanks to God for this situation. And so they went ahead and they prayed, and Betsy is saying, God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for this hay. I even thank you for the fleas. Amen. And her sister Corey did not like that. Don't thank God for the fleas. They're not from God. She said, I think they are from God, and I'm going to thank him for them anyways. They ended up finding out a few months later that those fleas were a blessing. And the reason they were is because it was so disgusting in there that none of the guards would come in and harass them, which allowed them to store medicine to help other people, and also allow them to witness and tell people about who Jesus was and pray with them. Amazing thing, right? How God's word was their foundation in their life, even in the worst of conditions. God's word, church, has this, like, this supernatural power where if you were just faithful in it, day in, day out, in the discipline of having a devotional, that it's going to navigate you and guide you in life, even in the worst of conditions for them. So Mercy Fellowship, this is true not just for us individuals, but it's also true for us here at Mercy Fellowship Church, that we are not built on a foundation of good curriculum. We're not built on a foundation of good activities. Uh, We're built on a foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. It's God's word that is going to navigate what we do here as a church. It's not going to be anyone's bright ideas. It will be God's word. And so, like I said earlier, church, uh, you as an individual, you make up the church, not just this building. So for you as the individual, what's navigating your life? What is your life built on? We grow when we have a solid foundation to be built off of. So that first category, prophets and apostles. The second category, evangelists and pastors and teachers. If the first group's meant to communicate God's word, what we have here, the second group is meant to communicate the continuation of God's word being communicated to us in the life of the church through pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Let me just say this. Some of you in this room, I'm sure your lives were changed by evangelists, by pastors, by teachers. Whether it was you, your granddad, your dad, whoever it was, I bet they were changed. Some of you guys were changed by an evangelist named Billy Graham. Changed your family's lineage, changed your family's line. Legacies are changed because of an evangelist. That was true for my family. My dad did not grow up in a Christian household. And yet he had a faithful friend, a faithful presence in his life who shared the gospel with him that he would go skiing with. Eventually my dad became a Christian Eventually, my dad told his dad about Jesus and got to baptize him. Uh, eventually, I, I, he married a gal that was a Christian, and, and then they had kids who now all serve the Lord. Now, our kids that we're going to have eventually, they're going to grow up to know who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. Because of one evangelist being faithful, generation after generation, legacies changed forever because of this church. I pray that God has called some of you in this room to be pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Let me just be honest for a second while I'm up here, all right? We need more of them. We're not suffering from too many pastors or evangelists. You know, as I preach at other churches, and even Chris gets emails about pulpit supply, churches are suffering. Why? Because they need a building? No, the building's usually paid off. Because they need money? No, they're usually got a pretty good bank account. 
They're suffering because there's not enough pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Our Lord Jesus, he said this when he, was in, uh, when he was here on earth. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I'm telling you, church, when I go out, that's what I see. There's people that want to gather. There's people that want to be a part of a church. There's people that, that, that want what we have, and yet they can't find them. They don't exist. I pray, church, that some of you would, would rise up to that occasion to be pastors and teachers and evangelists in your midst, in your communities. The purpose of all these gifts, though, okay, apostles and prophets, God's word, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. The, the purpose for all these gifts, Paul says, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Right, that's a very Christianese term. Let's break that down, okay? Right, equip the saints, okay? Get rid of that Catholic notion that a saint is just some of this like superhero type person. A, sa a saint means someone who's set apart. That's what it means. If, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. So we are meant to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the word ministry has gotten really sexy in church. You're a part of our ministry. You want to be a part of my ministry. Uh, the word ministry, church, what it means by its definition, it means service or it means waiting a table. It's so lame. It's, it, it's so unattractive. Here's the reality. Okay, and here's the reality for us as a church. It's not just people here in this church building that are paid staff that are in ministry. If you are a Christian, you are in ministry. If you are a Christian, you are in the business of serving other people. You business owners are in ministry. You parents are in ministry. You spouses, you singles, you employees. If you're in Christ, you're in ministry. So how we grow is by being equipped, this Lord's Day gathering, okay? This is kind of the huddle. This is where we get ready. It's where we make the game plans, where we, we stir one another up and encourage one another so that we might go out into the game Monday through Saturday equipped to be disciples and equipped to serve and equipped to be like Jesus. We grow when we have a solid foundation to build off of. Our fourth and final point, church, is this. Uh, we grow together as a community. We grow together as a community. We're gonna, we already read verse 13, but we're going to start in verse 13, work our way down. Paul says that we've uh, equipped the saints for the work of ministry till we build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in, in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We grow as individuals, obviously, with our past experiences and our, and our devotions and, and things that we have, we have been through. Yes, that's true, but Paul says when we come together as followers of Jesus, we come together to be the body of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, rather than being childish, he says, we are, we are meant to be mature in Christ. And how are we to be mature in Christ? We are to be mature in Christ by not being led astray by every doctrine and human teaching. 
Rather, we are to stand firm on the apostles and the prophets and teaching as our foundation. Let me say this, church. I, I do construction for a living. I listen to podcasts all the time. Listen to other people. Uh, collect truth. All truth is God's truth. However, don't make it your foundation. Paint your walls with some of their teachings, okay? But let your foundation be God's word. That's what it's meant to be. Paul says that if we do this, we're going to grow in Christ-likeness together as a community where every part of the body is equipped, and if every part of the body is equipped, the church grows. And if the church grows and you bear the Holy Spirit, what takes place is that the presence of God then goes out and expands throughout the entire earth. We grow together as a community. The Apostle Paul, he gives us this picture of a body, and, and, and what I found to be true is this, our physical growth often images our spiritual growth. Uh, where the images of a body, where we, if we put in the work, we might not see the results in the first few days, in the first few months. But you look back after being faithful, after being disciplined, and you look back and you say, man, I've really changed who I was. And so it is spiritually, church. If you put in those faithful rhythms of being a disciple, if you gather and you give and you grow and you go, how we mark discipleship here at the church, yeah, the first few months, you might not see a lot of change. A couple of years, you might see a lot of change. I've been at this church coming up six years. I'm a different person today than who I was when I first showed up. And to God's grace, I hope I'm more Christ-like. We change, church, when we put in the work of these regular rhythms of gathering, giving, growing, and going. So let me conclude with this, church. Uh, we, as a community, Mercy Fellowship, we are growing. We are growing, and this is encouraging. Spiritually, we're growing. Sitting around those tables during an equip and hearing how God's working in your lives or how God has worked in your lives, it is so encouraging to hear that. We are growing as a body, spiritually, Numerically, church, we are growing. For the last six months, more people are calling Mercy Fellowship home. Praise be to God for that. Attendance-wise, when it comes to even something like Equip and people showing up, more people are showing up to Equip than really anything we've had before. Praise be to God, we're growing that way. Momentum Mercy Fellowship is good for us. We really believe that God is blessing our efforts here at a church and that he's putting wind in our sails. And the Apostle Paul would tell us this, how you lose all of this is through disunity. How you lose all of this is by forgetting the gospel. How we lose this church is in pride ascending above other people thinking I'm better rather than remembering Jesus who descended to serve us and imitating him. So Mercy Fellowship, do you want to grow? Are you growing? What's navigating your life? What voices are you letting in? Perhaps for some of you, the next steps for growth is this. You just need to trust Jesus for the first time. You need to acknowledge that you're a sinner that you and that Jesus has died for your sins. Perhaps that's some of the steps that some of you need to take this morning. Perhaps for some of you, the next step is, is getting baptized that you were make public your profession of faith in Jesus, that, that when Jesus died on the cross, you died. And when Jesus rose, you also rose. Perhaps for some of you, your next steps is just being a faithful witness within your family, being a faithful presence in your workplace, around your friends as well. Church, we have been called to grow. We have been called to do. But before we do anything, we have to remember and memorize what Jesus has done. 
Our Lord Jesus, who ascended on high, has descended to serve us, to love us, to give to us. And we're called to imitate him in all we do and say. Let's pray this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to gather this morning. Father, we thank you for these gifts of which you've given us your word. We also thank you for pastors and teachers and, and evangelists, people, Father, of whom have changed our lives forever, most of us who are in this room. God, we pray to be a faithful witness of who you are and what you've done in our lives, wherever we may go and whatever we may do. Father, I pray for people who don't know you yet, Jesus. I pray that they would. Father, for people who are feeling stirred by you, Holy Spirit, to be evangelists and teachers and pastors, I pray they would take, be faithful in the next steps of following through with that. Jesus, in all we do, in all we say, we pray you'd be glorified. Amen.